Good morning. I'm John Hanna, and I serve as one of the elders here at Alliance Bible Fellowship. In the continuation of our summer series called Life Together, last week I directed our attention to the ABF mission statement, which says, We are called by the grace of God, for the glory of God, to become and multiply fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we saw that our primary mission as a community at, at ABF consists of two things. One, to become disciples, and two, to make disciples. Last week, we looked at what it means to be a disciple, and I introduced a helpful tool or practice that we see from Jesus' ministry called the Discipleship Cycle. It is also printed for you in the bulletin. We saw an example of the Discipleship Cycle in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. We saw that Simon heard the word from Jesus to push out into the deep and let down his nets. Then we saw Simon respond by obeying and letting down the nets. And the result of Simon's response was a miraculous catch of fish, and then Simon asking Jesus to depart from him, for he recognized his sinfulness. But Jesus reinterpreted that experience for Simon by telling Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And Simon left everything and followed Jesus. This week, I thought about people in my life who've been the most significant in my growth to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. They are those who've helped me through this discipleship cycle process. And they have been people who have not only encouraged me to hear the word and respond actively, but have also helped debrief or interpret my responses, my experiences, and my beliefs about God in light of Scripture. Some of them are here today. They have been and continue to be in my life. And I cannot become the person that God wants me to be without you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we, here at Alliance, cannot become a community of fully devoted followers of Christ who multiply new followers without intentional community with each other. It is why we are focusing on community this year. And it is my prayer and my desire to see us continue and even increase our commitment to one another so that God's grace and God's glory may be more fully on display in Boone and throughout the world. As we live out this discipleship cycle process and use it in life, we will become fully devoted followers of Jesus who the Lord uses to make many more devoted followers. So today, we will focus our attention on the second aspect of our mission here at Alliance, which is making disciples. We will use Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20 as our text. So please turn in your Bible uh, with me to Luke chapter 10, and I'll read that for us. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. 
Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The outline looks like this. Uh, We're going to see that Jesus sends with authority and power in verses 1 to 9. Then we'll see that rejecting the message is death in verses 10 to 16. And finally, position is of greater honor than power in verses 17 to 20. So let's look at uh, our first point. Jesus sends with authority and power in verses 1 to 9. Verse 1 begins with those words, after this. This refers to what was written just before chapter 10 at the end of chapter 9 in verses 57 to 62. And in those verses at the end of chapter 9, Luke highlights the cost of following Jesus. As I mentioned last week, loyalty to Jesus required all other loyalties in your life to be subordinate or secondary to him. That is emphasized here at the end of Luke chapter 9. And the section at the end of chapter 9 also shows that being a disciple is not simply following Jesus in one's lifestyle, but it also includes involvement in the important work of the kingdom. So after Luke highlights the fact that disciples are to be loyal to Jesus above all, and they are to be involved in the work of the kingdom, he shares the story of Jesus appointing 72 others to get involved in the mission. These 72 are additional disciples beside the twelve. And Jesus sends them specifically to the towns and places where he will go. Jesus is expanding the ministry beyond the twelve. An important principle we will see today is that ministry is not confined to a select few. Ministry is not confined to a select few. I'll come back to this shortly. We also see here at the beginning of the passage in Luke 10, that Jesus sends these disciples two by two. He sends them in pairs. While this was a typical way to travel in the ancient world, Jesus may also have sent the disciples in pairs because it would allow the messengers to function as double witnesses. In Jewish law, from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, we see that a charge of wrongdoing could only be established by two or more witnesses. By traveling in pairs, these disciples would be able to validate or testify to the acceptance or rejection they receive where they go. 
This will be important later in our passage. Jesus then goes on to give instructions for the mission. He starts with a call to prayer. He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. By using harvest imagery, Jesus is pointing to the time sensitivity of the mission. But there are not enough laborers to do the task. By calling the disciples to pray, Jesus shows that the mission's growth will be determined not only by the efforts of the disciples, but also by prayer and God's sovereign direction. We see in verse 3 that Jesus highlights the risk involved in the mission. Disciples may have to minister under duress, where they will be as vulnerable as lambs among wolves. But the disciples do not go out on their own. Jesus is the one sending them. And that phrase, I am sending you out, is one of commissioning. It is under Jesus' authority and with his power in which the disciples are sent out. And although they may feel like lambs in the midst of wolves, Jesus wants the disciples to trust him because it is ultimately his mission. Now, the ESV study Bible makes an interesting note here about lambs. It says that using the lamb imagery implies the disciples should not attempt to gain converts by force. The spread of the gospel is to come through preaching the good news of Jesus Christ and inviting hearers to respond willingly. We do not coerce or force people to respond to the gospel. So in view of the danger and the urgency of the mission, the disciples are to travel light, and they are not to get involved in customary greetings, which could be lengthy and time-consuming. They are to carry no money or knapsack or extra sandals. They are to be completely focused on the mission Jesus uh, has given them. And they are to be dependent upon Jesus' provision for them through others. For us, we are also called to be completely focused on the mission God has given us. At the end of Luke chapter 9, it says that no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Good service requires undivided attention and loyalty. Good service requires undivided attention and loyalty. Continuing on in verses 5 through 9, we see instructions dealing with reception and how the disciples are to enter a house or a town. They are to enter a house and say, Peace be to this house. Now this was a common greeting in Judaism. It means, May God be with you. If one is a child of peace, literally a son of peace, meaning a child of the kingdom who responds to the disciples' offer of peace with reception and hospitality, then God resides there. If the greeting is refused, then the benefit is lost. The disciples' mission is not a trivial or small matter. Blessing, or the lack of it, lies in their message. Power and authority exist in Jesus' messengers. As his sent ones, they convey the message of God's peace. Now the disciples are to remain in the same house, not moving from house to house in one town. And when a town is receptive, they are to eat what is set before them, receiving the food graciously. The message and the ministry of the disciples is summed up or summarized in verse 9. It says, Heal the sick, 
and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Given the power to heal, the disciples are to heal those who receive them as a tangible example of God's blessing coming on those who respond. Disciples heal and declare the kingdom's nearness. The healing signal the start of a new divine age. Not everything associated with the kingdom has come. It has only begun. But this is a demonstration of the initial phases of fulfillment. And we will see a confirmation of this inauguration picture later on in verses 17 and 18, where Satan is seen falling from heaven as a result of the mission's healing ministry. The kingdom comes in distinct yet related stages. The central images of Satan's fall and the disciples' healing show that the kingdom is near. This mission by the disciples is made possible by Jesus sending them out with his authority and his power. Today, in 2014, we are in a different stage of the kingdom coming. It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus came as a baby in a manger to give himself as a sacrificial lamb offered once and for all. He conquered death and defeated Satan through the cross, tearing down the wall of separation between us and God. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25, says it this way, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through the flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are in the place of history post-cross and post-resurrection. And after the beginning of the church, Satan and death have been defeated. God's Spirit now resides within believers, empowering us and helping us do the works that God has set out for us to do. The war has been won. We have victory in Jesus. But there are still battles to be fought. As we prepare for this day, mentioned in Hebrews 10, which is the day when Jesus Christ returns as the great and glorious King, we prepare by stirring up one another to love and good works, meeting together and encouraging each other. Until that day when Christ returns, all of us who are his followers, who profess to be his disciples, we have been sent out as lambs among wolves. We have been given a commission from Jesus. Now we know this as the Great Commission, which is recorded in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. After Jesus' resurrection and before he ascended into heaven to go back to the Father, Jesus charged his disciples with these words, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Just like the sending of the 72, our mission is not confined to a select few. It is not confined to missionaries or pastors or people working in local churches or the officers in the church. This mission is for every one of Jesus' followers. Our mission is to make disciples. That includes evangelism, which is sharing the hope that we have with those around us who do not profess to be followers of Jesus, as well as helping fellow brothers and sisters in Christ grow to become mature and complete in the faith. Paul says it this way in Colossians 1.28, Him, meaning Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Are you focused on the mission to which Jesus has called you? Who are the people in your circles or relationships or social networks that don't follow Jesus? How are you intentionally praying for and sharing Christ's love with those friends, neighbors, or co-workers? In what ways are you intentionally helping brothers and sisters in Christ to grow as disciples to become mature in Christ. At the end of the sermon, I'll give you some specific examples of how you can do this. But for now, uh, let's look back at our passage in Luke chapter 10. In verses 10 to 16, we see that rejecting the message of the 72 disciples is rejecting Jesus. Rejecting the message is indeed death. Jesus gives the disciples instructions on what to do if they are not received in a town. They are to make a public warning, and they are to declare the kingdom's nearness. The kingdom comes regardless of the people's response. The people are culpable or blameworthy for their decision in this crucial time. They have missed out because of their refusal to accept the disciples and the disciples' message. And Jesus closes his word of instruction with a solemn word of judgment for the city that rejects the disciples. Sodom, the most despicable of ancient Gentile cities and a symbol of unrighteousness, will fare better on Judgment Day than the city that rejects the kingdom message. Rejecting the message of the kingdom leaves you with no hope and nowhere to turn. Jesus goes into pronouncing woes on two cities, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Now these are two cities in Galilee, just north of the Sea of Galilee, where apparently the response to Jesus' work was poor. And these two cities are compared with two Old Testament cities of Tyre and Sidon that were unrighteous cities. And Jesus says that if the mighty works done in Chorazin and Bethsaida had been done in Tyre and Sidon, the people of Tyre and Sidon would have repented. The repetition that we see in verse 14 of it will be more bearable for you emphasizes the point that the ancient cities will fare better in the final judgment than Chorazin and Bethsaida. And Capernaum, which served as the center of Jesus' ministry, has no better fate than Chorazin. You see, much of Jesus' power had been seen in Capernaum, but people did not receive Jesus' message. They rejected the offer of peace and life that is only possible through Jesus. And this section closes with an emphasis on the seriousness of rejecting the disciples' message. 
The disciples have been sent out in the authority and power of Jesus with a message that the kingdom of God has come near. To reject the disciples is to reject Jesus, and to reject Jesus is to reject the one who sent Jesus, that is, God the Father. And whether for towns or individuals, to reject the message of the kingdom is to embrace death. Salvation or spiritual life is found in no other name under heaven. Now this can be a hard message, and there's no joy in seeing people, even our enemies, embrace death. We remember passages like Proverbs 24, verse 17, which say, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Or a passage later on in Luke, chapter 19, verses 41 to 44. And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, that is Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus says these words as he is entering Jerusalem that last week of his life. Jesus, knowing that it would be this city that would crucify him within the week, he still wept over their spiritual blindness to the kingdom of God. Do our hearts break? Do we weep over the spiritual blindness of those around us? As disciples, do we truly believe that those who do not turn to Jesus for forgiveness and abundant life will experience God's judgment and eternal separation from Him? And are we willing to suffer any shame, embarrassment, and even rejection in order to proclaim the kingdom of God to those around us? The final point from Luke 10 is that position is of greater honor than the power displayed. Position is of greater honor than power. The 72 returned with joy. They returned rejoicing. They were amazed that they were able to cast out demons at the mention of Jesus' name. And it is here that Jesus provides some debrief and interpretation for these disciples. Jesus says that he watched Satan fall which suggests that God cast Satan out of heaven. And Jesus explains what the disciples' authority means. He describes a fall from the heights. When the disciples were out healing people and casting out demons, that spells defeat for Satan. This is one of a long series of events regarding Satan's defeat. Jesus is saying that the healing and exorcisms done by the disciples are evidence that Satan and his rule of this world is being defeated. Now Jesus ultimately defeats Satan through the cross, and the kingdom has come to earth, but there is also a not yet component to the kingdom. The kingdom is being built through the church, but it will not be consummated until the second coming of Jesus. For these 72, and I think for us today, Jesus does not want disciples to rejoice in the power that they have but rather to focus on their secure standing 
a relationship with God. We remember Jesus' words of warning in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 22, where he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, power alone is not an indication of doing the will of the Father. It is more important that our names are written in heaven. Some translations will say, written in the book of life. This indicates that the disciples are personally known by God and that their eternal presence with God is certain. This final word is one of great encouragement and comfort because it means that the evil one's power cannot remove their secure position before God. While Satan is cast down from heaven, disciples are part of the heavenly census. So we have seen that Jesus sins with authority and power. And rejecting uh, his message is death. And position is of greater honor than power. The matter of the gospel is indeed about life and death. And while the Lord may use disciples to do great works, to see people healed, and to help people become followers of Jesus, disciples do not rejoice in those works, but they rejoice in their belonging to God. Let's go back to the questions I asked uh, in section one about who are the people in your circles of relationships that don't follow Jesus? How are you intentionally praying for them and sharing Christ's love with those around you? And what are ways that you are intentionally helping brothers and sisters in Christ to grow as disciples, to become mature in Christ? Let's think about how you can help someone who is not a follower of Jesus. You want to help them be willing to hear the word. What would it take to get them to read one of the Gospels with you? Or what would it take to allow you to share the hope of the Gospel with them? Depending on where they are in their spiritual journey, where they are, whether they're distrusting of God and Christians or whether they are interested in learning more about God, will determine your specific invitation to them. But you can begin by praying for them and asking God to give you opportunities to both demonstrate His love and to speak of the hope of the gospel. Well, let's think about how we can help brothers and sisters in Christ become fully devoted followers of Him. The discipleship cycle is not only a great tool that can be used personally, it can also be used in group settings and with others. Helping someone else process through the discipleship cycle is a way that you can help them grow. The part of the discipleship cycle that often gets overlooked is the debrief or interpret piece. And yet this is a critical piece to help correctly understand what happened as we responded to the Lord's word, as well as to think about what is the next step or invitation that God is making. Let me give you two scenarios of how you can use the discipleship cycle with others. The first example is if you're having a conversation with another believer, maybe after church today or when you see them later this week and start talking. 
you could ask them what is something they've been reading lately in scripture or something that they have been learning from the Lord. And as they share that, uh, you could talk about and ask questions about how they responded to what they read or what they heard from the Lord. And then uh, you could spend some time debriefing that with them by reviewing what happened as they responded, asking questions like, what are you learning? What's the next step? What have you learned about God or learned about yourself? A second scenario involves a regular meeting that you set up uh, with another believer, or maybe it's uh, a life group meeting that you have. You can make the discipleship cycle part of your meeting together. You can listen to the Lord together by reading Scripture or talk about places in Scripture that you've been reading recently. You can discuss ways that you should respond to what you've heard from the Lord. And then the next time that you're together, uh, you could talk about what happened. What was that experience like for you? What are you learning? What is your next step? Or what is one thing God is inviting you to do next? In these examples, you would be helping someone else process through the discipleship cycle helping them grow to be fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, obviously, there are many ways that you can make disciples. These are just two examples. What's important is that you are asking the Lord, Lord, to whom are you sending me? And then secondly, that you obey and speak the message of peace and life from Jesus. I want to give you some time to quietly reflect and ask the Lord these questions. Who is in my life with whom I can share the gospel? Who do you want me to help become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus? And then finally, what are next steps for me to take in either of the above relationships? So I want you to take a minute or two to reflect and pray about this. And then we will sing our closing song.